Hello, hello, yes. Very good morning, so good to be here with you. Okay, now. Yeah. And if you're watching from your home and your sofa, I'm so jealous. No, no, it's just a joke. Come on, just sincere. Come on, Danny. Uh, so good to be here with you guys again to talk about Revelation. We are in chapter 10. So let's open our Bibles in Revelation chapter 10. And if you're watching from home, you are more than welcome to keep your Bible open. It's a very short chapter, just 11 verses. And let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need your word. Please help us, Holy Spirit, to understand your message this morning not only to our brains, but to our hearts and families. Increase our faith, Lord. Reveal for us the treasures behind the scriptures this morning. In the Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. We are in this series of, uh, in the book of Revelation, the Bible, if you're watching this service by the first, second, third time, we, in this church, we preach in series. We had many series uh, in, uh, to expose the, the Word of God. So we had the, the, uh, the parables, Nehemiah, and we are in the series of, in the book of Revelation. We are in the chapter 10. Revelation is very polemic book in the Bible and full of symbols, very symbolic. We had many lessons here last week with Ken, great teacher. I, I feel, what's the word? Hypnotize? Hypnotize? I feel focused when Ken is preaching. Yeah, that word. When Ken's preaching is amazing because I keep looking for the PowerPoints and I love it. I just love it. So again, it's my privilege to, to preach the Word of God to you this morning. Now, is, uh, sometimes it's easy for us when we read the Bible and all, all these stories that we have in the Bible, oh, David and Goliath, or Jesus and the disciples, and all of them, even Revelation, we know the end. We just turn the page. Okay? So, I don't know, Daniel and Lion's Dean. Come on, Daniel, don't be afraid. To the next page, you'll be saved. <laughs> or Dave run away from Saul, the king. Relax, David, I know the end. I watched the film. But the guy there, he didn't know the end, okay? He was in the middle of that trial full of fears and anxieties and uncertainties and, and all the stress of the moment. He was living that moment. And it's the same in Revelation. So when we read the Bible, it's always nice when, I don't know, if, if you can take this time machine, go back to the past and put yourself in their shoes to understand the impact of that scripture and that word for, for you. Uh, it's like when all of us, I think, we watch it back to the future. So it was my favorite. So there's a musical in London. We have to go <laughs> to see. We are now in this time machine back into the first century. Can you imagine yourself and your family being a follower of Jesus in the year 90, 95, probably was the time where uh, or when Revelation was written, and we're there now, okay? You are in some church, 
in the first century. What was happening? Persecution. Now, persecution is something that it is happening now. I shared a few weeks ago, 53 countries or 55 countries across the globe persecuting, persecuting, uh, pursuing Christians. Around 340 million Christians under persecution. We are in Europe. We are here in the Western culture. It's another kind of persecution. But in those days, in the first century, the Roman Empire, they were killing everybody who was confessing the name of Jesus Christ. So if you are in the year 90, 91, 92, 93, 95, live in a city like, I don't know, Ephesus, probably, when John, this guy who wrote Revelation, he was pastor in Ephesus as well, like Paul was, or Timothy was, it was a very important church, and they were under persecution. Maybe the meetings in hiding places or an underground church, and the Romans and the soldiers killing everybody who were there. Now, if you were there, and if you were, I don't know, let's say 50 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, maybe, let's say, you were raised in the church. But maybe not. Someone told you about this new, good news, gospel of Jesus. And this time, in the year 90, they had some letters already in the gospels teaching about Jesus and the scriptures and Paul's letters. Everything was there uh, in every church in different addresses, and they keep sharing this, the gospel of Jesus. But before that, someone told you, hey, God has a son who came to save us. Oh, how is this? Just one God? Yeah, just one God, because in those days they had thousands of gods. So just one God, he sent his son, Jesus, and he lived a perfect life, and you received this information at some point, okay? You're in the first century. So, Jesus, who came here saying, I am the Son of God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way, to, there's a bridge between you and God now, a reconciliation between you and God now. There is forgiveness in a new life, and Jesus preached the message and his apostles. And he lived this perfect life without sin. And then he died on the cross, paying for our sins, our sorrows, our sicknesses, weaknesses, everything up in himself at the cross. And Isaiah said, was the God's will to crush him on that cross. And Jesus fulfilled more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. He was the one they called the Messiah. But then... And the third day, he rose from the dead, and he was alive, and more than this, he said something. He said, and John, the same guy who wrote Revelation, do not let your hearts be troubled. You, believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go, he prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So, okay, this was the promise. And he said for the guys, the followers, the disciples, guys, stay here in Jerusalem. And look, you go for the mission. You go to spread this news. But first... I will send a gift for you. You're not going by yourself. 
are alone. The Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit. And these guys, the name was church. And this church received the Holy Spirit. And they spread the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying there is one Kyrios, the Greek word, one Lord only, Jesus, and he is coming back. So, when you receive this news in the first century, you felt forgiven and loved, and okay, I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ is coming back. But now, it's already near 90. Jesus hasn't returned yet, and you are there waiting. And this underground church being persecuted. Probably in your church, someone from your family was killed. The previous pastor was killed. Paul was killed by Nero the emperor. Timothy was killed. John, the last apostle, is really old now. And you keep reading. And actually, they just start to write that letters in the gospel because... Jesus was taking too long to come back. And then, okay, we need to teach the next generation because we thought Jesus was coming back. He hasn't returned yet. And you were there. Probably your father was killed, your son or daughter, your wife. The pastor was killed in that church. And the Roman Empire in the year 90 or 95 was so strong. And the next years, until the year 135, was the maximum of the power and splendor of the Roman Empire. Where is this kingdom that Jesus talked about? Now, some scholars, they say that John pass away in the Isle of Patmos. And the other guys, they said, no, John went back to Ephesus. And from Ephesus, he wrote his gospel, the gospel of John, plus three letters in the very end of the Bible before Revelation, plus Revelation. No, no, he wrote Revelation Patmos. And other guys said, no, he wrote Revelation Ephesus. Let's imagine you are in Ephesus. And John comes to the stage. In those days, they used to sit. And teach. And he opened a new book. Guys, I have something new here. And the name is Revelation. The history. You not finish like this. I saw the future. Jesus showed me how it will be the end. And I want to share with you now. And we have this amazing book. And now, can you imagine now John, old, standing before the, the church, reading Revelation chapter 10. Let's read. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open on his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like a roar, roar of lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. 
And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about right. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised on his right hand the heaven. <clears throat> and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is them, the earth and all that is it, is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lays open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. You see, we read the full chapter, three minutes, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I want to read the whole chapter. It's easy, it's fast. What's happening here? Full of symbols in Revelation, like I said at the beginning. John was a Jew guy, and that church was a mix with Gentiles and Jewish people. But for the Jew, there is some meanings. When they listen about this mighty angel with a cloud, cloud, okay, it's the protection of uh, God and the people of, of Israel in the desert. Cloud is the presence of God, like Solomon's temple. Cloud, there's something in their memory about cloud. Rainbow, okay, was the covenant, the alliance uh, with God's people in the very beginning, Genesis 9, and all the symbols. And with, when, uh, with the foot, with the feet on, with the foot on the sea, and the other one on the land. That means domain, power. Why? Because the sea that we call today Mediterranean Sea, in those days, the Romans called, they used the Latin word, say, uh, Mare Nostrum, something like our sea. That represents the sea of the Roman Empire. And that leg was there saying, no, don't belong to Rome. Belongs to someone above. And the land as well belongs to someone above Rome, the empire. So all these symbols bring some hope for that first believer. Say, okay. So there is someone above the emperor, above the Rome, who commands the sea and the land and the all empire, and, and, and he sounds like a lion, and there is thunder. All this is a symbol of God's power. And it was an angel. Now, some guys say, okay, this angel was Jesus. And the other guy said, ah, it wasn't Jesus. Because in Revelation chapter 1, you have a description of Jesus very similar, but... 
It wasn't. It was just an angel because he lifted his hands and talks about the one who lives forever and ever. He is not accepting any worship. It's just one angel. So forget about these angels that we see in the pictures in the galleries. Very uh, like babies flying with the wings and very... This is like a... Wow! It is an angel. <laughs> it was something... Some lessons for you and me this morning from here. First one, the angel was bigger, greater than the enemy of the church. There is a, the church always had enemies in the past and today in our lives as well. I like Psalm 124. talks about the enemy of the church who would have swallowed us alive. When the anger flared against us, praise be to the Lord who, let, who, let, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. It's an enemy full of anger against the church. You know why I can, I, I, I can bow down my knees beside my bed every evening or morning and pray without fear and fight battles for my room and pray for the future of my family and pray for the church and pray for this church, pray for the kingdom of God and have this journey of prayer because heaven is bigger. Because there is someone bigger than the enemy. Thank you, my darling. 2 Kings chapter 6, look at this, the prophet Elisha. Elisha is the right pronunciation? Yeah, Elisha. He was surrounded by enemies. Okay? He was sleeping, <laughs> confident. Enemies around his house. And he wake up, and the guy, his servant, said, oh, come on, they're coming to kill us. They're coming to kill us. We need to do something. The enemy is around. Okay, the enemy is around. Look, he prayed. And his prayer was short. Look, his prayer. Second Kings chapter 6. Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Full stop. This was a sentence of prayer. Then he opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha, the heaven, the heaven is bigger than every enemy of the church. This angel was bigger than the enemy, but this angel was smaller than Jesus. Now, we have enemies, and we have those who will destroy, and they hate your family. They hate your kids, they hate you, they hate me, they hate your church. And sometimes I almost can feel the hate of the enemy. I remember once we took some guys. We went to these um, favelas in Brazil, slums, slums, very poor places, full of drugs and everything. And I invite some friends and I said, look, we are going there. Uh, we are taking some food, but also we will preach for those guys and you uh, help the kids with some toys and like we have here puppets and everything. We, have, we had some guys who worked in the kids' church there. We are going there, okay? Okay. So we went there, and I was going, uh, I was going every different houses, and the houses in these places, 
they are very, uh, everything with wood, but not nice wood when you see the Google wood house now. Uh, the roof was like this, you need to stay like this inside the house. They have nothing to eat and lots of drugs and drug dealers. The drug dealers, they are like um, the owners of the place, like a, a small mayor. You need, you need even their authorization to go there and preach. But they live in this very expensive flats and beautiful places, but their money comes from the slums, slums, these places, because they keep paying for crack, cocaine, and weed, and all kinds of drugs. And you see kids with nine, eight years old with guns and everything. And I was there. And that day, we preached in different houses. We went in different houses. We prayed for many people. And it was a great day. At the evening, that night, I was sleeping at the night. And that voice came to my ears here, I will kill you. And suddenly I was <coughs> stuck in my bed, you know, this kind of experience. And someone screaming, and I had many visions that hate. Screaming, I hate you, I'll kill you. Now, you can have this kind of experience, or you can have another kind of experience when your kid comes from school with different thoughts, questioning everything about your faith. Or when you go to university and everybody's nice with you, but they just don't believe in your God and your faith. And it's the same hate, but it's disguised. It's, it's there in some place and trying to convince you that this is not true. It's the same hate against the church of Jesus Christ. It's the same enemy in every age, in every time, trying to fight against the church. But if we have this prayer, Lord, open my eyes to see that you are bigger and greater than my enemies. We are not under persecution in this country, but the persecution is here. It's my inner voices. I spend most part of my time in the future or in the past. In the past, feeling guilty because I wasn't unfair, because everything that I have done wrong. Or in the future, because I feel so insecure, full of anxiety, and how you'll be the future. And then I have all that voices, oh, you have no future, oh, your kids, oh, your money, you run out of money. And I have my enemies inside of me. In this very moment, I need to stop and say, Lord, open my eyes. To see above the enemy. To see there's someone greater. That I don't depend on my emotions. I don't depend on these lies and these inner voices in my head. I don't depend. I depend on you. And you are greater than the enemy. Your church will grow. You advance. This is about your kingdom. My family belongs to you. So when they listen about this mighty angel. Okay. He's above Rome. He's stronger than the enemy. Then, he talks about this book, little scroll, little book. And he ate the book. I don't know what's your plan for lunch today. But <laughs> this guy, yesterday we had a pizza at home uh, with low-carb base, something like this. Yeah, crazy stuff from YouTube. So, but it was good. It's a different base with no flour and all this. And in the next morning, it's even better. <laughs> the pizza, the leftover. So, in the fridge. But I don't know, it tastes better. 
What was the order from this mighty angel to John to eat the book? Now, what should John not do with the book? First, John, don't use this book for your intellectual growth or curiosity only. Why I'm saying this? Because the book is clear, it's the message, it's the message of the gospel, because the order from, from the voice from, from the angel said to him, you must prophesy, you must preach, you must proclaim, you, you have to, okay, so eat the book and then preach about him over the nations and tribes, etc. It's the message, okay. But please, John, don't only look to the book and use the book for your intellectual growth only. You need to eat it. Why am I saying this? Because the devil wants you and me to understand the gospel or Jesus as a concept or a philosophy only. As something really cool and nice and that's it. I remember once after preaching, I don't know, 20 years old, I was crazy than this, screaming, sweating under 40 degrees, no AC in the church. By the end of the service, I was destroyed in some corner, and the man came to me and said, oh, well done, young man. <laughs> Thank you. It was like a rock concert. <laughs> you lose weight on the stage. Uh, actually, he said to me, I really appreciate your techniques of communication. And I felt sad because this is not communication only. It's, it's the living word of God. It's something that creates impact in me. But he was appreciator of sermons, uh, a student about sermons. We had this in the past and many eras, different eras, the devil trying to make us or people to understand the message as something really cool or philosophy or a concept or an idea, but not the real powerful message of the gospel. In the Middle Age, you had something uh, you can Google later on called the scholastic period of the church, where the church was gathering, trying to understand, and they are joining the faith with reason, uh, and Aristotelic teaching with the faith. And then you think, okay, this is nice to have faith and reason, cool. No, they spend ages with this kind of discussion, okay, does Jesus have hungry? Uh, how many angels we have in heaven? This kind of useless discussions and had ages of this. And after this, long, long time later on, on 18th century, we had the great awakening and revival of the church in England and America as well, Charles Spurgeon, all these great names, but in the same time, we had something called the Enlightenment Age, the Age of Enlightenment. Uh, and what that means? To bring more reason for the faith, because faith is very supernatural. But we need to find here reasons. So the human thoughts, the reason as the center of the faith. No more the supernatural stuff. Faith and reason. And after this movement, this movement generates some, some daughter, a, a kid from this movement called the liberal theology. And from the 
theologians from the universities, from the pulpits to the church, who had lots and lots of teachings about reason on the faith, the human mind as the center of the faith. And, and the, 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 this kind of theology we still have today is really strong in many places in Europe as well. <clears throat> they don't believe in the literal miracles of Jesus. Uh, everything was just a symbol, so Jesus didn't rose from the dead. It's, it's like a symbol. Uh, when you use your iPhone, that means that Steve Jobs is alive. So it's the same. When you preach about Jesus, he's alive in our hearts. <laughs> it's not a miracle. So we, we have this. What the voice said to John, John, this book is not only for you to preach about it. It's not only for uh, research or for intellectual growth or to satisfy your curiosity about God. It's to, it's to eat. It's another level. It's something different. It's to eat the book. Anyone who doesn't eat cannot preach. Empty preaching. There is no God's presence there. Empty preaching, just give me a dead church. We Christians. Now, like our professor, great preacher Ken used to say, when we saw this before, I like this, the Bible is a repetition. So we have here, put some paper clip to find, Ezekiel chapter 3. Let me read for you. And he said to me, Ezekiel, Old Testament, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Again, God asking to someone to eat the, the book, the Bible, the scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and um, he gave me this scroll to eat. Then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. The same, like John, the same thing. And we have another guy here called Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16. He said, when your words... When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. What the Bible is saying. If you don't eat, you cannot preach. And food is about pleasure. And all well, depends who is the cooker, but food is about pleasure. And it's about joy. Flavor it. You know, when I feel sad, <clears throat> I feel sad when I see Christians having more joy and pleasure in everything else than the Bible. To read 20 minutes of Bible, oh, it's so boring. You are boring. Come on. To read 10 minutes is almost Cutting your arm or leg is so difficult, so heavy. But to watch 24 episodes or chapters on Netflix, the whole season, two days, we are there. Because bring us joy, pleasure. 
And when we, when we don't have the same taste, flavor, pleasure in the scriptures, what's the result? A weak generation of Christians. A sermons without power, without life, without God on it. Because we don't have more pleasure. And then when you try to speak this word without eight first, without eat first, when, when you try, okay, I need to share my faith, but your heart is full of Netflix and distraction. Your heart is full of Facebook. Your heart is full of your own concerns in your life. There is no Bible there because you haven't spent 10, 10 minutes reading the scriptures, asking, Lord, please talk to me 10 minutes. If you don't have 10 minutes, wow. So if you don't eat it, it's impossible to preach it. But if you eat it, it's impossible to remain silent. If you eat it, it's impossible to not preach it. That's why verse 11, Revelation 10. Verse 11. You must prophesy. Because everything that gives us pleasure, we talk about. The main thing that we talk about in too late is because give us pleasure. We talk about food, we talk about movies, we talk about traveling, we talk about money and jobs and everything because give us pleasure. It's the same energy, it's the same intentionality, it's the same focus in the God's word. This you bring you pleasure. You are eating and then you go and then you preach in a different way. People, they will see your eyes. They will feel your energy. They will understand the gospel even when you stop to talk because they will see the gospel in you as part of you, not like an empty sermon. I'm very tired to listen to some kind of scholars or theologian cold and empty. These guys, we love church planting. And we are going to talk with a group who's in a church in Portugal. But I have fun. I have speaking with many guys. When they talk about church planting, it's like they are launching God's startup. Okay? God's company. They open their laptops and they have plans and it's great, but it's empty. There's no flame. There's no passion. There's no life. It's just another service. It's just another plan. It's just another meeting. Because they haven't eaten the word. Now, you're going to the end. Question. Okay, so why didn't the angel preach? The angel could preach. Why not? Why this mighty angel, after all of this appearance, just hand the scroll to John, eat and preach, you, not me? Why? Come on. If an angel like this shows up, wow, I run to Jesus at the same moment. I don't need too many words. Uh, I'm not sure about your faith. Okay, let me just call my friend Angel. And you see that angel, the guy, wow. <laughs> Why? Because the angel is great. But the message is greater. And you have these examples in Acts chapter 10. A guy called Cornelius. An angel came to him. And an agent spoke to him. And he was, okay, tell me. And the angel said, no, no, no. Call a preacher, a guy called Peter. Call him, he will preach to you. The message is greater than the angel, all this kind of stuff. The message God gave to you and me. 
To, now, sometimes I imagine God, the creator of the universe, the whales in the sea, the planets, the galaxies, the cells in my body, he took his spirit, put on me, put on his church for, watch Netflix, to preach with power, with anointing, to eat, to share. But verse 6, the angel said to John, verse 6, Uh, there will be, there will be no more delay. We are running out of time. You know, the biggest lie that we have in our days is just when we imagine that we have all the time available. You have all the time of the world. You can first organize your life and everything, then you can devote yourself to God's things or because you have time. Don't rush. We have today and we have now. You know what? You can leave this room this morning. It's between you and the Lord. With a new disposition in your heart. You can talk with your spouse or your partner, your family. And you can say, let's, let's do something different this week. Now, let's open our house. Let's invite a friend. Take a paper. You put a line. Number one, friends closest to me. Work, school, whatever. Number two, that not so close. Number three, that far from me. Pray for this number one. If you put in the paper, you see 12 five names there. Let's pray for these guys. Let's invite them for coffee in our home. Let's pray for them. We don't have that time. The time is going. Now, when we talk about time, and I want to finish with this, Steve and the worship team can come. Steve is amazing. The guy is a preacher. They look after kids' church. Everybody, and they, they play as well. <laughs> Now, when you talk about time, I always remember that guy who died on the cross with Jesus. Two criminals. Do you remember this? Luke chapter 23. Right and left side with Jesus. Uh, I remember him because when I was, I don't know, 19 years old, I was in the seminary. And, you know, when you are studying to become a preacher, pastor, <laughs> they give you some services. And my service was Wednesday evenings, when it's raining, nobody's in the church to preach. And I was finishing that service, learning, so cleaning the church, doing everything. By the end, I was closing the door, <clears throat> and a man came to me. And I thought, okay, another robber, because that area was really dangerous full of criminals and everything. And the guy came to me and he said to me, he even said nothing, oh, good evening, hello, excuse me, nothing. He just said to me, hey boy, do you really think that God can forgive me? Well, first answer, yes, but then I was like, why this question, who is this guy? Okay, yes, I really believe in this. Why? And he, just make sure, he shared his life with me. 
he was on the opposite side of the road and the bus uh, stopped waiting for the bus and he was listening to the, the sermon, the preaching. It was me, four people in the church and the guy outside. And I was preaching about there is life in Jesus, salvation, forgiven. You can be forgiven. And he said, I was raised in church. When I became 20, 18 years old, I left the church and I started to hang out with friends and drugs and alcohol and everything. I had every kind of sexual experience you can imagine. I gave myself to the scene and I spent my life, years and years of my life. A few months ago, I received a prescription, a result from the doctor with HIV. I know, I don't have time. I'm having drugs and all of this, but now it's different, but these years ago, it was hard. And he said to me, I was in the bus stop going to my sister's house to see her. We are having a celebration with friends and family. Farewell. Do you really think God can forgive me? Do I have chance in that moment I was talking with a criminal beside of Jesus on the cross in Luke 23 he said to Jesus remember me there is nothing good to remember about the criminal's life remember what your sins when you lie for people when you're stoning them you see if we are lost it's not because of our past it's because of our present. The guy next to Jesus, he had no past, a good one. But he had that moment. Jesus was there. Wasn't the Jesus performing miracles, walking on the waters, nothing. It was Jesus dying on the cross. And if that love in the cross isn't enough, to touch your heart is not miracles. It's not me here talking. Who oh, you touch your heart? It's Jesus' love. After we prayed, he left. I don't remember his name, but they will never will forget his face. If you're watching this in the camera, if you are here this morning, you have now to come to Jesus. Forget about your past, your mistakes, if you feel guilty. You have Jesus now. There is no time. God's judgment is coming. God's love is available. Jesus Christ will return someday. He'll be back. And now you are responsible for this information you have. You need to take a decision. Surrender your life to Jesus. Give your heart to Him. Let's pray. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we are finishing this meeting. But your spirit can keep talking with us. Please, Lord, those who are watching on this camera, 
Maybe they feel dry and distant from your love. May they feel the touch of the Holy Spirit now. Those who are in this hall, please, Lord, touch their lives. In this time, we are just preserving ourselves too much. Touch us to give more of our lives, our lives and time and energy and creativity and everything to your kingdom. Because we are running out of time. The end is coming. Lord, I'm 43 years old. Someday, I will see you. And I will be sure that I gave everything to you. Everything, Lord. We are your church. We need this. Let's sing the last song. And if you want to pray with someone, we will be here around. We'd love to pray with you.